0: Welcome to the Real Film Nerds Podcast. Welcome, everyone, back
1: to another exciting episode of the Real Film Nerds Podcast. I am Matt, your host, as always. And with me today, there is no Mysterious Mike Talent. I think Mysterious Mike Talent is overseas I think he is secretly James Bond, or at least a secret agent in some way, shape, or form. So he's not going to be here today, and I don't think the Wi-Fi's work over the internets, or the Skypes, or whatever. Or uh, it's probably actually mostly the time zone. So with me today is my good buddy, fellow photographer extraordinaire, way better than me, definitely a better podcaster, Mr. Mile High Show, Matt Santos. Hi. Wow, you are doing a Mike talent Hi How are you? Hi,
0: Matt Hi, Real Film Nerds
1: You can use the S Because we have four listeners It's amazing Well, your mom mm-hmm. That's um, one Not you Who else? Uh, my younger sister Heather. In Phoenix listens Does um, Frank listen? Frank does not
0: Yeah I he, like Frank he, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're a big Chicago Bears fan too? Uh,
0: no, just a hot
1: dog fan and wings fan and beef sandwich. <laughs> this this uh, podcast unofficially brought to you by Portillos. Portillos, we got beef sandwiches and hot dogs.
0: Um, so who, who are your four listeners? Let's name them all. We
1: got my mom.
0: We got my sister. We got uh, Mike's wife. And that's uh, Mags. Does she just listen so that, uh, to make sure you're not talking about her? I think so. <laughs> or, or she listens to, because she likes to hear me rag on
1: Mike. Cause I don't know if a lot of people really rag on Mike like I do. And, you know, we go back all, you know, we go way back. And uh, so I rag on him. He occasionally rags on me. It's fun. It's good I, times. I
0: don't know my, I don't know any of my listeners. None of my family listens. Every once in a while, I get a, uh, uh, text from my brother who will uh, tell me somebody goes, he goes, Hey, I, I heard from so-and-so they were listening to your podcast. <laughs> well, Hey, I, you know, they're listening. <laughs> no, I've got, I, I've got listeners. I just don't know them. Nobody listens to hear me at all. Zero. They will listen to hear who I have on. So I piggyback on the fans of the people I, I interview since so it's an interview podcast. So it's, it's, uh, if I have say uh, a comic on I will get that comics fans listening to that episode then they'll never listen again until I have somebody else say know if I interview a musician their fans will listen and then nobody will return to listen so it's a lot of, I get a lot of new listeners every week <laughs> <laughs> you yeah you have perma listeners you always
1: have permanent. Perma new listeners, they're coming and going constantly. But I do
0: get occasionally, uh, and typically it's uh, it's uh, after midnight and before five a.m. That 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 five hour window, I'll get a, a, a random text from somebody. Usually, it's an unknown number, something somebody that's not in my phone list in my contacts. And uh, it's happened probably seven eight times in the last few months. Well, I'll get a text from somebody going, "Hey, is this Santos?" And I'll text back, "Yeah, who's this?" I just was listening to your podcast when you were talking about me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It'll be
0: somebody from school because my my phone number's like on my Facebook page. It's on the website for the for the podcast and my photo page. That's that's what my a, only content. What is that website? Which one? The
1: what? what <laughs> Whichever one you want to promote on the
0: Real Film Nerds Podcast. The podcast is Milehighshow dot com. And the uh the the bread and butter pay the bills website is msantosphotographer.com. dot com. And then it's listed on my on my Facebook, which links are on those those sites as well. So but yeah, so my my business line, my only phone number is publicly listed, so uh, I will uh, periodically get email, get texts, and sometimes emails from people I haven't seen or talked to in thirty years. <laughs> but they're still reaching out, so that's <laughs> it's a lot better than mine. They just think I died. Got a text at three a.m. about a month ago from a guy who reminded me I owe him three hundred dollars from a uh, a, uh, uh, a a an old venture. <laughs> now, did you reply? With or without interest uh no that was that's that is the uh the what what would they call that the 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 gross or the net I don't know what you would call it that was the figure that I owed him back in eighty nine <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> when I last spoke to him, so he's not asking for interest, he was just asking for the original lump sum. I was known as the guy. this was my tagline back then. You need it all now. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, both of us have had clients that that have done that one. Yeah, so uh yeah, I uh from the olden days when I used to uh my health plan revolved around unlicensed pharmacist. That's what <laughs> Tony and his red jeep. <laughs> Meeting guys behind the seven eleven over off of Tennyson. Well, all right. So after that. <laughs> Way back in my early days of photography, which leads us right into our our yeah. featured featured doc. Because this
1: is the Real Film Nerds podcast. We do talk about movies here and uh, Matt Santos's ecu- extracurricular activities, at least in the 80s. So um, this is a film that I've known about for a while. I have been wanting to watch it for a while. I've been excited about it for a while. Um, it came out in 2017. Uh, let me look at the date. April 21st, 2017. It was, It is a documentary. It was an independent film. And it took a while for it to... It was never really released out here in Prescott in the theaters. Not that I know of. I think it might have come to uh, the art theater down in Phoenix. Either the Tempe or the uh, the Scottsdale one. Get a lot of the art films down there. But uh, we're talking about Hondros. It is uh, currently streaming on Netflix. Finally, finally. After, you know, a year of them saying they, that Netflix bought the rights to it, they finally said, okay, we're going to release it. But uh, here's a little bit on uh, Hondros. It is directed by Greg Campbell. It is written by Greg Campbell and Jenny Golden. And it stars, I'm probably going to butcher every single one of these, but we're going to try, um, Pancho Bernasconi as himself. Greg Campbell as himself, Chris Hondros as himself. It's a documentary. It's a documentary, documentary, so everybody's themselves. Yes. (laughs) And Justin Merriman. And here is the uh, synopsis. Man, dude, it is long. I have to click back on. Okay, here we go. Man, where is Mike when I need him? Jeez. Damn it. All right, summaries. Hondros follows the life and career of famous war photographer Chris Hondros by exploring the poignant and often surprising stories behind this award winning photojournalist's best known photos. Driven by a commitment to bear witness to the wars of our time after the events of. Tablet turned off. After the events of 9 11, Chris was among the first in a new generation of war photographers since Vietnam. Hondros explores the complexities inherent in covering more than a decade of conflict while trying to maintain a normal life. It also examines the unknowable calculus involved in making split-second life and death decisions before, during, and after his photos were made. Chris was killed in Libya in 2011, but he left a lasting impact on his profession that is still felt today. All right, Mr. Mile High Show. Um, you are not a big movie buff like I am, but I know you love movies about photography. You love older movies. This is one of those things. <laughs> what did you think of Hondros?
0: Honestly, it was a good film. It was a very good film. It gave me a lot of education because while I know, I knew uh, of Chris Andros, I knew his name, I definitely knew his images, I didn't know virtually anything about his story. Uh, we have a couple of mutual friends that have worked with him over the you know over the years. Uh, so I knew about I, I, through social media and stuff. I was seeing some of my old friends posting about him when he when he was killed. You know, in, in what is it, eleven? I believe he yep, he passed in eleven. So that's when I was associating the name with the images. Obviously, I knew the images because they were on the front page of every wire and national publications and magazines and things, but I didn't know who captured him. That, that never resonated with me until I saw some of my friends, some of my old coworkers who, who were posting about the loss of their friend back in, back in 11. Uh, but I, I did not know anything about his life or, or what propelled him to uh to follow the path he did so the what really there was there was three real pivotal things that that hit me with this doc the probably one of the most interesting from my point of view were the clips of his mother being interviewed because she talked more about not so much the tail end of his life but more of how he got into the business talking about uh as a student and as a kid and watching him develop into the photographer that he became as a kid. And it it kind of resonated with me. I mean, you know, I started the same. You know, I sh- started shooting pictures in junior high and through high school and stuff. So I really enjoyed the clips and I, I wish there were more cause there weren't many. I would like to see more footage of what his mom uh, brought to the story.
1: Interesting. So I thought that was neat. Interesting. All right. Well, before I start giving my take on this, let's uh, get one of my favorite sections, Mike's section, other than the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe section, which uh, we are not doing because there's no way this relates to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, and Mike's Parker not here. He was a photographer.
0: Yeah. He was a photojournalist. And that is all I know about uh, the Marvel Universe. Cinematic <laughs> Universe, yeah. Well, hey, you
1: know, that's that's fine. That's fine. So uh, it, to not do that, we're going to do our other section. Uh, Mr. Mile High Show, uh, what are you drinking this evening? Uh,
0: I am drinking uh, out of my Oakland A's cup from, what year was this? 2002. Oh, that's they, new for you. They would give these away. Uh, these are, I want to say, what do you think this is, Matt? If you had to guess, 32 ounce, forty, twenty-four 24 ounce.
1: Yeah, I think it's 24. It doesn't look quite like 32.
0: 24 ounce plastic cup from the Oakland A's. It was sponsored by Pepsi. This is what they served their sodas in. It was a souvenir cup. And what we used to do is comb the bleachers. We used to get these from the mid eighties. They were giving these away up through when I got this one in 2002. And at the end of the game, you would find dozens and dozens of these in the bleachers. So we would grab them. They're hard plastic. And take them home and wash them. And these were our fine, fine china. Uh, and so that's what I have in my hand. My Oakland A's souvenir cup from 2002 filled with uh, the remnants of pot number two of my espresso roast coffee. Uh, Kirkland brand as roasted by Starbucks especially for Costco the espresso roast whole bean coffee that I make each and every morning uh, and by 11 o'clock this morning I had finished the first pot brewed the second pot at uh, about 1:45, and uh, the last 20 some ounces is what I brought here in iced form with a little scoop of vanilla ice cream and a couple of ice cubes wow that is probably
1: the most elaborate, what-are-you-drinking drink we have ever had.
0: <laughs> well, I uh, I notice we'll get to what you're drinking, but uh, I bypassed the adult beverages today because for the past few days, I have been uh, a little bit under the weather, and my drink of choice yesterday was... Uh, was uh, uh red NyQuil? No, blue, 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 blue Equate version, the Walmart mm-hmm. version. Uh, can we say Walmart on your podcast? You can say whatever they, you want. They, an unofficial sponsor of the NyQuil, their their generic brand. I've been drinking that uh, in shot form over the past thirty six hours. So uh, I I am sticking to coffee today. So the Equate
1: NyQuil, blue flavored. Which truly does taste like the color blue. It
0: does not taste like anything else. Yes, it is the color blue, just like the orange Dayquil version tastes. Not like orange, orange citrus, orange. It tastes like the color orange. Definitely. Uh, years ago, go back to the old the old photo days of my uh, my film days and learning uh, learning photography uh, in in high school years. Uh, we often would carry uh, a a. Uh, bottle of nyquil in our locker and a little bit of nyquil some 7-up and some ice went a long way over at mount eden high school in hayward california
1: <laughs> what was the name of that cocktail
0: <laughs> I just, who cares the sleeper, <laughs> the sleeper yeah. <laughs> um yeah I, I i saw something on facebook the other day you see them all the time that little like the little surveys you do the uh no, I,
1: ha- I don't do those. But I yes. don't. I don't
0: either. But you've seen them. I never respond to them because it's too much work. It's basically a way to hack you, actually. But yeah, no. You know, it's like I have never. And you add up. You're like, I've ne- I have never gotten a tattoo. That's one point. I have never sky skydive. That's another point. I've never gotten stitches. That's and you know you tally. But I think they should add on there. I have never used the actual shot glass that comes with your cough medicine because I've never used that it's they're meant to be swilled directly from the bottle you should never the first thing i do is i take off the the little sealed wrap and throw it and the shot glass away because that's useless yeah well i mean you know me i'm more of a purist
1: so uh i just use a straw but (laughs) whatever but then you don't get that
0: tasty crust around your lips that you could lick off later in the evening.
1: Yeah, it's a nice little <laughs> snack when you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep, and you like you know you get a little drool and then you stick your tongue on. You're like, ooh,
0: oh, that's tasty. Our, that's our, blue. Our, our old uh, 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 public works director, I think that was her title. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, public works director uh, Ruth Mayday over at the town of Chino used to come on the radio with me. <laughs> And on two or three different occasions when she was in there, uh, I was not, every couple of, about every six months, I get this bronchial junk on that I've had the last few days. So I I would have my Robitussin. I believe that's called pneumonia. Yeah, uh, (laughs) I would have my little Robitussin in there and I would ask her a question. And just nonchalant, I didn't I? Didn't think nothing of it. She got the biggest kick out of it as she's answering. I take a swig of my robitussin, and you know, because I'm 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 a I'm a responsible journalist. I don't drink Nyquil on the radio. Uh, it's got to be the robitussin. Yeah, well, you know, the Nyquil <laughs> like, you'll pass out. She, <laughs> the robitussin you just get a little lightheaded. It's fine. She used to get the biggest kick out of that. I to me it was like that's what are you supposed to do? What am I going to carry around a spoon? Look like a junkie? No. Drink right out of the bottle like an American. <laughs> <laughs> you just carry it in your pocket.
1: She's like it's a flask. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Mile High Show Coffee Mac Cough Cough. I am drinking my old staple. It spilled a quarter of it on my kitchen when I cracked it open because I think it might have been a little frozen. My refrigerator probably needs to be replaced, but whatever. I am drinking one of my favorites Four peaks, kilt lifter, Scottish style ale. It's a delightful, delightful brew. Not my favorite. Oh, dude, it is mine. I know it is yours. I know it is yours. I like well, but you know, I love my high life. I got high life yeah. in there too.
0: So now, what that's four peaks? Yeah. What's the other what's the other brewery slash restaurant? Twin Peaks, right? Or is there what's the other place? I don't know of a twin There's peaks. There's a couple of them down in the, down in the valley. There's Dude, there's breweries like well, all no, over the I, valley now. It's crazy. I, I hit you up one day because Anthony, my son Anthony and I, were down in Phoenix one day. This was either during his last year's spring break or possibly summer vacation. I don't remember because we were down there by ourselves. And we were looking for a place where he can get his famous chicken nuggets or chicken strips that he loves, and I could grab a burger or something. And over off a of Camelback... I assumed it was like that, like Four Peaks. Yeah, it's something Peaks. I want to say Twin Peaks. I wouldn't put it. But what you when you walk in, you realize that it is basically uh, Hooters in a (laughs) in little in little Scottish. No, (laughs) yeah,
1: no, it's something. It is not Twin. It's not. um, Oh gosh, when I was working in college, uh, we lost a lot of people because the first one opened in Chandler. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm spacing on the frickin' name.
0: So we really walked, bad. We walked in and, and immediately walked out and he was wondering why Hey Pop, why why aren't those women wearing clothes? Oh, <laughs> it's not Twin Peaks, it's um it's actually
1: something to do with kilt, I think.
0: No, it's not that one. It's it's yeah, no, I know what you yeah, Twin Peaks restaurant. Oh. No, well. it's not that uh Kilt something. Yeah, the the other one yeah, is the one I it's know. It's called of. Twin Peaks. Oh, I've never been there. It is not uh which would, and then then as I walked out I go, "Oh, that's why they call it Twin Peaks." <laughs> 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 yeah, Twin Peaks on Camelback. There it is. Opens uh open now, closes at 12 a.m. Call for directions. You know if we
1: leave right now, we'd make it for the last call.
0: No, no, that's okay. Oh, all right. Yes, Twin Peaks on uh on Camelback, and there's also one in Sonora Village in Scottsdale and uh, Twin Peaks Glendale. This podcast
1: is unofficially, br- unofficially brought to you yeah, by Twin Peaks. But when you're uh, look- definitely oh. great place to bring your young children. Yeah,
0: when you're looking to find a nine-year-old uh, chicken tenders, that ain't the place to go.
1: Lots of breasts, but no chicken tenders. So we went to Applebee's instead. Wow, fancy. Yeah. So, all right, well, back on to topic of Hondros. Um, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I always enjoy documentaries about photographers a lot because it inspires me. And then pr- when I'm done watching it, uh, I get really depressed because I look at my career and it makes me very upset. See, I. <laughs> well, but also, yeah. let me finish this thought. Also, Hondros being a war photographer, and I can name many war photographers that I admire greatly. I wanted to be a war photographer. I have always had a desire to be a war photographer. I just don't know if uh, I would have enjoyed it. It looks like something I would want to do. And it's not even the adrenaline junkie because I'm not an adrenaline junkie. When I was growing up, I had a little bit of it, but not bad. Like skydiving, I've never tried it. I really don't have much of a desire. I could take it or leave it, you know? Um,. Any other kind of a drone sport, like I loved mountain biking when I was a kid, but I don't do it anymore. I could take it or leave it kind of thing. So it's not the adrenaline thing. It's for me, it feels like those are the most important stories that I should be telling. And I'm sitting there at the face of history as it's happening. And that's what I really want to experience. But then I know what you're probably going to kick into, and I hope you do this, is there are stories in your community, in your state, in your town, in Wherever that are just as important that need to be told as well.
0: I have never, ever had the desire to be a conflict photographer. And never, no, it never. But as as a kid, as a young child, I'm talking like eight, nine, ten. I wanted to be a photojournalist, and thankfully, I got a chance to do that for many years. But exactly what you're saying, I I never had. Let me boil it down. There's no no argument. His images, Hondros's images were incredible. They were incredibly dramatic. But dissect them, were they dramatic because of the setting they were photographed in? Or were they dramatic photos?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Now, think about... And I, I hate to, because it, I don't want to detract from the movie. I don't want to detract from his legacy. I don't want to detract from the work that, that Chris Hondros did. But when you look at, say, just for instance, say a portrait, and I don't even want to get into the details because there's so many examples of this, but when you see a portrait or a photograph of, say, for instance, a movie star, uh, a, a, a well-known comic, Uh, a musician, and you look at it, and it gets on the cover of a magazine, it gets awards, it gets all these accolades. Is it because it's a famous person, or is it because it it, it evokes a lot of emotion, or is it because it's a great photograph? Nine out of ten is because of the face that's in there. They could be very stagnant portraits, just... Almost snapshots, point and shoot snapshots, and they get all these accolades because of who it is. That bothers me when you see, and it was really brought out. And I, I know we're jumping all over more mile high show than it's all good, man. It's all good.
1: I knew this was going to happen because because I'm a scatterbrain. No, it's because (laughs) this is a topic both of us are very, very,
0: very. Well, I mean, it's what we do for a living, towards both the of end, us. Towards the end of this doc, when they were talking about his last few days and his last assignment, one of the things that one of the Getty, it could have been Getty or it may have been one of the times uh photojourns that they were interviewing I, they were going back and forth so many names i know i don't i can't even recall the, one one of the ones that one of the guys said he goes what bothered me most he kind of had it, it evoked the feeling that he had like this eerie feeling that this was not going to end well which obviously it did not he said it bothered me because he wasn't by himself Photojournalism is a solitary field to get that emotion, to get that, the get kind of get your side of it. He said what scared him most, and then they cut to this scene, uh, this video clip of that the other. Documentarian who was also killed with Andros and I forget his name. It's it's in your hill. He'll, it started with an H and I'm I apologize because the guy was incredible. He's an Oscar winner. The yeah, guy was he was a video. Uh, video guy. Yeah, Hilgriff Hilbreth. I'm I'm butchering. Uh, I think it's Hil- Hildebrand. Could have been. I think it was Hildebrand. But he was doing a, the video of this and the the voiceover from this other journalist or this editor was saying what scared him most was this new breed of journalists that were out there covering this war that wasn't even fought by soldiers. It was fought by amateurs. He goes, that was the most dangerous thing. It was these amateur soldiers being covered by what he was in a sense saying, amateur photojournalists shooting it with cell phones. He goes, this is the recipe for disaster because it's people not knowing what they're doing covering people who don't know what they're doing. And that's exactly what happened. And that's kind of when I see especially now with as social media is taking over and they got into a little bit of this in the doc in the doc hondros. They got into how the media is changing specifically with social media and the the Facebook journalism and they actually had that one that one shot of that guy in the field holding the sign, and it said Facebook across it. He was a protester, probably from Cairo. Yeah. But when now the celebrated images aren't because they're well-composed, they're not well-timed, they're not dramatic, they're not emotional, they're just a shot of something happening. And I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it's kind of like that, is it a good picture? Or is it just a picture of something good happening, or something bad happening in that
1: something case? dramatic, or
0: whatever? But it's yeah. not. But the photo itself is—it's it, a snapshot. It's nothing. There's no thought into it. That's why, over the years, it, I was never really drawn to, or had the desire to do combat photography because, one, I, I don't think I had the backbone for it. I don't think I had the fortitude to do it. I—I I have been in situations. That have been kind of sketchy in the course of my work where, you know, whether it be some dangerous stuff anyway, disaster type things and where guns are going off and that purely by accident. So I didn't have time to think about it after the fact. I was a wreck, but. Had I gone into it, knowing something like that would happen, I probably wouldn't have got out of the car. I just know me I'm, i wouldn 't have done it i don 't have that in me i don't have the desire to do that i 'm glad there are people that can and that are willing to do that it's just it 's not for me i don't I, I don't have that desire so would it be as satisfying as a photographer as an artist to capture something that just happens to be going on or to be in a situation that isn 't as dramatic? isn't as flashy, but to be able to still capture a dramatic and emotionally filled image. Um, And that's basically what you
1: and I have been doing our whole careers is small town newspapers because that's what you have to do. You have to take, and a lot of people don't, especially now, since, you know, both of us aren't journalists anymore, (laughs) and, you know, go take a look at your paper and see why. Um, Go uh, get your assignment from your editor or... Maybe not an editor. Uh, shouldn't have had that title. Pull, pull, but, um, pull a name out of a hat. Yeah. Um, and he says, uh, Hey, um, I need you to go shoot the city council meeting. And there's not really anything going on, but this one city councilman, it's his first meeting or something. And I want a nice picture of that. Go and g- do that and try and make a compelling image yeah. of a routine same meeting that happens every week or every month or every two months or whatever and make it look different and compelling you and i that's a
0: challenge you and i have many late night text and phone conversations about the state of the industry you said it's depressing you said something uh, in a conversation recently over the past month or so how a, a another photographer mentioned to you at an event I didn't like this. There wasn't that much drama or there wasn't that much emotion in this game. You'd yeah. Okay. Yeah, now, I think that was a, uh, I think it was a basketball game or something. Yeah, so I, and the, it gets me to thinking, it's like, okay, if you could go to a council meeting, if you could go to a little league game and you just got to come back with some wild art or at a park,
1: Dude, I won't lie, some of my favorite stuff to
0: shoot in the sports world is Little League baseball oh, yeah. because it's fun. And that's when, when somebody says, oh, there were only two dunks tonight, or oh, there was only one catch for a touchdown, or there was only one goal kicked." oh, I didn't get anything. I understand that, and a lot of that's self-deprecating. I, I told John Russ, KYCA's guy, the other night, it's like, it's third. Very, I, I ain't got nothing. Eh, I got a few things. But you just kind of say, yeah, that's kind of how we talk. Is ah, I don't got anything. You don't really know until you go through and look at everything anyway. But, okay, maybe you're at a soccer game that ended one to nothing. But how much emotion was going out on the sidelines? How much emotion was coming out of a coach? How much was coming out of a player who just missed a shot? How much is coming out of the mom or the dad watching their kid play? turn around there is action there is emotion there's drama happening all over the place and that was one thing that i saw that hondros did when the action was happening behind his head nine out of ten photographers are going to shoot that action the guns going off the mortars being fired what hondros did was turn around and photographed in many cases the reaction from the people participating or being affected by it. And that's what made his stuff stand out from the average conflict photographer. He captured the emotion of what this horrible thing did to the people around it, not necessarily... Now, granted, yes, he did have shots of people firing weapons, of people being hit by weapons, but the images that really got me that were displayed in this doc were the reactions to the people around what was happening. That, to me, was what set him aside from everybody else. That was one of my first lessons in uh,
1: photojournalism. Uh, I I can go back and talk a little bit about it if I want, but um, did you just almost drink my beer? No, I was looking at the recorder. It's probably like nine hours long so far. But um, originally I got into photography when I was in college because I wasn't doing great at computer science. And I, uh, I hated it. I hated programming. I love computers to death. I love working on computers. I love filling with computers. But I really hated programming. And so I had a friend that I made my freshman year in my photo one class that I took because I wanted to take it. And I should have known something there. And he ended up uh, becoming my roommate eventually. And I haven't talked to him since because we had a massive falling out when he was my roommate, which is sad. I, I've only been but, here a
0: couple hours and I fully understand what he went through. Yeah,
1: no, you have no idea. It was bad. It was real bad. But, um,
0: he, what, uh, let me, let me, I'm sorry to do. What was your doll collection like in college?
1: Uh, it was not as adequate as it is today, but in, I did have all
0: inflatable. It. What?
1: Uh, 50 50, 50 50, you know?
0: but um (coughs) that was just for stockmore
1: he was he uh was working for the student newspaper the acu newspaper and he's like uh you know he was like maybe you should try it out maybe you'd like it i can get you on the staff and it was hard to get on staff at the student newspaper even back then this was before the digital world before everybody decided to become a photographer and it still was really difficult to get on staff. And he's like, I'll get you in. It's no big deal. I'm the editor. I'll just hire you. I was like, all right, cool. I'll give it a shot. And I pretty much fell in love with photojournalism My first week doing it, I knew about it. I really didn't care a whole lot about it. I was like, Oh, well that's cool. And then the instant I started taking images, and this is going to piss a lot of people off that are photographers. The instant I started taking images that mattered, It changed my whole perspective on my photography. I had done stuff that it mattered, I guess. I mean, I shot landscapes. I shot portrait sports stuff. Like, you know, the team stuff we've done or I do, I was doing that in high school. I was doing studio stuff in high school with my photo teacher, and I was doing stuff like that. But I had never really done news were the events. And I was like, I'm telling a story. I'm telling history. I'm telling everything in one image. And that was it. You know,
0: I was hooked. I was hooked. See, when I, when I first, I mean, I always had a camera around. My dad was an avid photographer. He was, and I didn't find this out until I was doing it as a profession, but my dad had a dark room in the forties and fifties growing up. He was always taking pictures and he always did when I was growing up. I just didn't know the level that, that he had, uh Immersed himself in it as as a kid, until I was already doing it for a number of years. But one, there, there was some pivotal people uh, in my photo education. When I was in sixth grade, there was a, a neighbor kid, friend of ours, who I I just saw again uh, a month ago when I was in California. Hadn't seen him in a number of years. Todd Sanchez had a darkroom in his house when he was in junior high. He was three years older than me, had a darkroom when he was in junior high and was really serious about his photography when he had high school. So when he was a freshman in high school, I was in sixth grade and he started teaching me how to develop pictures in his darkroom. By the time I was in seventh, eighth grade, got my own darkroom kit for the house and continued to do it through school. He, Todd Sanchez was at a very young age, very talented at capturing emotion and candid type shots that set him head and shoulders above anybody else his age that was doing it. So he drilled that into me. What makes a good image? Then when I started doing it for money uh, as a freshman, sophomore in high school, I worked for a guy. He's come up on my podcast many times when we've sat down and talked photos. Jim Fashionel, who started as a photojournalist in the 50s in the Bay Area, had kind of gotten burned out, was running commercial and photo, uh, excuse me, commercial and portrait studios that contracted with the schools. That's where I met him, but he always. Always trained us as a photojournalist. When you go and you're shooting candidates in a classroom, everybody else was, make sure everybody's looking, you kind of snapshotty stuff. He always, so you come back with a photo essay or don't come back at all. When you go to a basketball game, yeah, get some action stuff. But if you come back with just action, I don't care if it's the best action stuff in the world, if it's supposed to be in Sports Illustrated, if you don't come back with the emotional stuff of the kids in the stands, of the player getting yelled at by the coach, of the, 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 the cheer staff, you know, the cheer kids getting emotional about what they're doing, he goes, people selling popcorn, get, do it. Completely encompassing a photo essay every time you walk out. So at a very young age, it was instilled in me, make sure you tell a story. Even if you're going out to get simple snapshots of kids around the quad at lunch, because we had to supply that for yearbook. He goes, don't just get snapshots. Get emotion. tell a story. Well... I think, I'm not sure who
1: was the one that taught me this, but to speed it up my side a little bit, uh, I eventually, after, I'm not sure, it might have been only one semester, it might have been a year, but being a staffer for the AC newspaper, there's two internships in Phoenix that were the most prestigious, one at each newspaper, the East Valley Tribune, back when it was a legitimate paper in the Arizona Republic. And each one hired one intern each semester, and that was it. Well, I nailed it, and I got got it. I don't know if my work was that good or what, but I got it after my first semester. It might have been a year, but I think it was my first semester ever shooting photojournalism, and everybody was just floored and jealous and pissed off and whatever. But I got it. And um, I'm not sure which mentor it was because i considered everyone there mentors because they were all very welcoming most of them they were always helping even the guys that kind of were i don't want to say jerks but the guys that were too busy to deal with the intern um they still would you know drop little hints here and there they were always helping helping you grow and stuff but i don't remember if it was uh rick wiley the uh photo editor or if it was uh daryl webb who i recently reconnected with after almost 20 years at a rattlers game he was at a rattlers game freelancing for the republic and i just wanted to hug the dude i didn't but i wanted to hug the dude because i haven't seen him in so long and in my opinion he's one of the best shooters in the state of arizona if not the best but incredible shooter shot for the Tribune forever until they basically shut it down or turned into whatever the hell it is now but that was one of the very first lessons I learned at the East Valley Tribune was the game might be going on in front of you, but you need to always be looking 360 degrees around you. Don't just concentrate on the game. Look at everything else. Yeah.
0: And that's unfortunately what, what is lacking in what I see now, Uh, especially when I see some of the young shooters coming up that I talk to or people that ask me for advice or that, I don't know, it's at least every couple of months I'll get a call from, hey, can you help me look over, I'm going to get a portfolio together, I just want to, what am I doing wrong, what am I doing right? People concentrate on one thing. They will see a shot, they will see a series of shots, they'll see a photographer doing something, and they will just do that. And it's, whether it be sports, whether it be portraiture, whether it be weddings, corporate work whatever they will see a shot in a magazine online wherever and everything they shoot will be like that I had the I had a really good opportunity recently to work with a, a photographer that I really admire oh thanks no not you oh oh and <laughs> uh, Troy Conrads out of LA he is uh, I believe he was ASU he's an Arizona native. Uh, he was a stand-up comic for a number of years, went into the production side, doing some videography and filming and producing, and now he is like the premier comedy photographer. He's based primarily out of the comedy store in, uh, in uh, L.A. Uh, and I've been an admirer of his work for a long time, but I got a chance to work with him uh, several months ago. And he's just got a very unique style. Uh, when you see a shot, by Troy, you know it's Troy shot. Uh I know several photographers that concentrate on photography in this state who have basically mim- they're mimicking Troy's style from the he's got some pretty unique angles that and lens choices that have become hallmarks for him. And in the past 2 years I am seeing people mimic his style and his angles, the lens choice he uses. Uh, They have actually gone out and bought the cameras he uses, and they're basically trying to shoot like Troy, which is fine. That's good to do, but it's kind of like a musician. Do you want to be a cover band, or do you want to take influences from people that you love and admire and that are good and then make them your own. And if you're learning, that's one thing, but these are quote unquote pros. And it's like, you know, get, get your own lane, you know, choose your own style, use these influences, uh, but don't copy, Don't don't just mimic. If you're using that as a starting point, and learn from, that's great. If you want to look, oh, I like that shot. How did he set that lighting? Let me try something like that. But they are actually using his poses and his framing. And, and there's, I'll, I'll just say it. There's a very unique shot that he does in the Comedy Store hallway where all the head shots are lined up. And it's an ultra-wide shot. And he does it in black and white. And pretty much every main comic out of the Comedy Store has this Troy Conrad shot. And it's iconic. It's beautiful. It's extremely wide angle, showing the curve of the hallway and everything. It's great. And I am seeing people do that exact shot in the hallways at the comedy sto- cl- clubs in Phoenix. And it irks me. It's like, they just don't do that. Find your own. Well, that's one of the things I
1: learned when I was in college. Actually, from one of my classes, I think, it might have been a photo class, it might not have been, most of the stuff I learned photojournalism-wise, I learned on the job or an intern or, you know, whatever, I didn't really learn much of it in the classroom. I learned a lot in the classroom, but I didn't learn... The journalism side, because I didn't do journalism.
0: I learned nothing in the classroom, because I've never been in a classroom.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, that's not true. You taught in the classrooms. Yeah. But um, <laughs> anyways, one of the things that they did say is that when you're learning, especially when you're learning, go out, and they like to use the term steal. Yeah. They're like, steal, beg, borrow other people's stuff while you're learning. But you need to do that so that oh.
0: you can develop your own exactly. style. I mean, flip it to the musicians again. Yeah, everybody. You know, what do you learn how to play when you're learning guitar? You learn "Smoke yeah. on the Water." You learn Johnny "Stairway B. to Good. Heaven." You learn "Stairway." You learn, and then you, or you learn a blues riff. But at a certain point, you go, "Okay, now how am I going to make this my own? How right. am I going to learn? How am I going to grow from this?" That's what separates well throw it it's a cover it's a cover band yeah do you and there's nothing wrong with that you know if you want to be if you want to be a cover band and work the state fair or work you know the local casino nightclub great and that's fabulous that's but in my eyes that's like working at Olan Mills, and you're going to do the portrait where you do this, and you're going to do the portrait where you're holding the book this way. You're doing the set move. You're doing. You're doing. Stairway to Heaven is what you're doing you're in, not, with the camera. You're not being creative at all. Yeah. At all, you're just copying,
1: and And, it's you know when you're learning that's fine, you know. Or if someone wants a particular shot
0: and they just won't shut up about it, fine. And all and all, I do the I do that now. So if anybody's listening to and go, well, I saw your pick. Yeah, well, of course I do. Just like Springsteen will do a cover song of somebody else, you do it occasionally. If I'm shooting a school portrait, it, it's not. Or if I'm shooting a passport yeah, how much picture, you're going to change it's it. It's not going to look yeah. any different. But I guarantee you, if I'm shooting a, a head and shoulder business portrait of somebody, because they need it on their their uh, insurance website or their insurance business card, I am doing the standard business portrait. But while I shoot those ten, twelve images, I'm also doing another ten or twelve. That are unique to me. If they choose not to use them, that's great. That's fine. They've still got them. Uh, But I will go in and to use that musician thing again, I will go in and I'll play, you know, uh, 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 you know, Soul Man or whatever, you know, Mustang Sally. If that's what people want to hear but i guarantee you before i get off that stage i'm going to play a couple of originals
1: right cuz you know they still you know they're still your clients so if they want something you'll give it to them but you're going to give them what you want to give them too and maybe if they don't like it fine you use it for yourself and that's what
0: in my opinion wrecked we're way off topic here but that's what in my oh, opinion yeah. what wrecked the the wedding industry because i will go in and i i marketed it this way in the late 80s early 90s where people would come in to book a wedding and I would say, if you're looking for, and they would come in and say, here's my friend's album and I really like this shot. And I would just tell them straight out, if that's what you want, I can refer you to some, I'm not going to do that. I will cover your wedding like I will cover a, a magazine assignment or something like that. If somebody comes in and says, we want the shot where... I automatically, no, sorry, I'm not your guy. Uh, We want the shot where we all hold hands and jump up at the same time. We want the shot where uh, they're carrying the bridesmaids out. Well, then go find somebody that does that shot. And what has happened over the past 20 years is there are the shot. It's the... The close-up of the ring on the high heel, there is the shot of the dress being this, there's the shot of this, and then they get these whole settings where it's, whenever it starts with the, it drives me nuts. And somebody years ago decided that the trash the dress thing was the thing to do. Oh, God. Everybody has to do that. Up here, it's, oh, now we have to have the bridesmaid in the cowboy boots, so we need that shot, but it's not only just the shot. We also have to have them holding hands and walking away and looking over the shoulder. It's like, yeah. what, what, what looked great as an incidental candid 20 years ago has now been on Instagram, and everybody needs that exact same shot. Everybody wants Mustang Sally, and it drives me nuts. And, I remember, and when, I, like Mustang I remember when the uh, uh, wedding industry started
1: turning towards photojournalism and people really were seeking out what we do to shoot their weddings. That was a good time period. But that time period has come and gone, and it went pretty freaking quickly. Well, and what it was they, a handful of years. Yeah,
0: but what they wanted is they got a couple of really good uh, images, and then everybody wanted to copy those images, yeah. and it's ridiculous. Especially when, you know, quite frankly, you get a bride that looks more like me than my bride. And they say, I want to look like the girl in the magazine. Well, you know, sorry. it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, to get back on topic of talking
1: about Hondros, because I knew this was going to happen. That's one <laughs> of the reasons why I picked a photo movie, because this is an interesting discussion, I think, Um Especially in an industry that I've given a lot for, and now I just I don't know, but that's my own personal thing, and I will leave it alone. Yeah, because um, I don't want to piss and moan, but I I miss it dearly and yes, whatever. He
0: does. He's gonna he, he loves that.
1: No, um, <laughs> in Hondros one thing about the film that I wish they would have had a little bit more. Uh, I agree with you about the interview with his mom. I wish there would have been more backstory on Chris himself. I like how instead of sitting here and doing this biopic like they've done in other uh, specifically war document photography documentaries where they just show you image after, image after image after image after image after image of this person and look, this is great and this is great. They do that in here, but not like other war photography documentaries I've seen. It was more this is how he got this iconic image and yeah. this is what was going on, which I really liked. I really did admired. I knew – Two out of the three, the one that I did not recognize was probably maybe his most famous, maybe not, but I never, I didn't realize it was his or I didn't recognize it. it, I couldn't place it was the uh, young girl, yeah, and the family in Iraq and all that stuff. And I think that's one reason why I really wanted to see this documentary as well. Chris Hondros is a few years older than me, Um, he was in Iraq, younger than me, in the Iraq war, and all that (laughs) stuff. while i was a student while i was learning while i was doing all these things and i saw his image coming and i was yeah. taking his images and i was placing them on pages and stuff for the student newspaper and we were deciding man this one has blood should we really have this this one has you know this should we really yeah. but um the one that impacts me the most that i think he broke a rule that you probably shouldn't break was with this little girl and this family in this story one of the kids was hospitalized and he ended up getting him to in Boston, Boston yeah. Chris Hondros was instrumental in getting him into the United States, getting him into good medical care getting him taken care of all these things he documented the journey you see pictures of the kid in the hospital pretty sure they were taken by Chris. he helped out a lot he also did this f- kind of for um the uh uh God it wasn't Libya the dude that's jumping with the that just shot the the rpg i don't remember what yeah i don't remember that's probably his most iconic photo i've saw that everywhere but anyways needless to say he helped this kid out probably financially possibly he helped him all these things and that was crossing that line that journalists are always discussing where how involved do you get with your subjects it's always that whole thing. You show up and you're the first one on a scene to a house fire or a car accident or whatever. Do you pick up your camera or do you now we have cell phones, but do you go and help the person? Which one do you do? Well, Chris picked up his camera and then he ended up helping afterwards. And as you find out in the movie, um, That is actually a really bad thing that he did, at least in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about it, but by helping this kid, by giving this kid all this publicity, he finally went back home to Iraq, I think. I think it was Iraq or was Afghanistan or Pakistan, one of those. Middle East, One of the Middle East wars that's still kind of going on. And the um, terrorists specifically targeted him because how famous he got over doing all this. Yeah. And so he not only helped the kid out and helped his life, but he also, in my opinion, caused the kid's death. Yep. And so that's a really, really shining example of why you don't get super involved with your subjects. You just don't.
0: And then the the his counterpart from I believe it was the Times, the one who had been uh, held captive, as well from I believe from the New York Times. In so Libya, believe, right? Yeah, yeah, that was in Libya. And what he yeah. said, because he they interviewed him specifically on this part in depth. He said, "But we're not. We're, we're human. We're not robots. So we are going to get involved." I don't.
1: It's See, it's that... a fine line. <laughs> well, it's a
0: fine line. I mean, I've gotten involved, but I haven't. But I have. But I haven't. The thing is, I I don't have an issue with what he did. There's a a much larger issue there. Uh, why? You know, at, at and they didn't really get into it. What when when the little boy went back was that his choice? Did he have an option? Was there an option for his family to come in? True. Now they Good didn't point. get into the things too much before that of how he was injured in the first place, how his parents were killed. They went back and talked to the sister, much grown now, much much older now. And there was I had to go back and rewatch twice the interviews with the servicemen. The the one that.
1: Dude, yeah, that the, the guy that, that, that he personally takes a lot of the blame on his own shoulders, which might or might not be true, but he was involved in the shooting. Yes. Yeah, and
0: the, we kind of didn't touch on it, and it's very apparent and brought to brought to the forefront in the in the dock. The reason this, this kid was shot by American forces. Yes. It was a car fleeing, and according to the daughter, they were fleeing from ISIS. It was... They pretty much opened fire on a vehicle that was trying to get away from the quote-unquote enemy. Uh, you know, things happen in war. I understand that. But it was basically a friendly fire situation. And they didn't dwell too much on that. So at that point, parents are dead. I don't know what the—they the, the there was, they interviewed other people. The older man who was in the in the interview with the daughter— that As she was grown. Was that the uncle? I I, he, I don't. I there could, was some yeah. family members that had taken
1: the so kids
0: at. Okay, this is what came to my mind. OK. U.S. forces open fire mistakenly. The call was made. Get the car because they're leaving. They thought it was the enemy fleeing and it wasn't it was somebody fleeing from the enemy yeah and they popped and
1: a few off into the air trying to say hey don't speed up and they stopped and then they sped up and drove straight at the soldiers supposedly well, and that was when they opened fire or whatever it doesn't matter you know it's all who one, okay, one so person's at, perspective at, at this
0: point they parents are dead with us bullets little boy little girl boys brought back to Bo- brought to Boston for medical treatment at what point wasn't Red Cross wasn't somebody else wasn't UN somebody brought in and said let's relocate this family to Dearborn let's relocate this family to Houston let's do some they were sent back uh, now they didn't touch on it but maybe the other family said no we want our family back I who knows I don't know right so right. at some point it's it's a horrible thing, and then it gets into a whole geopolitical thing here, but it's, you know, okay, you want to go back? The, the, this should never have happened because should we have been there to begin with? You know, it's a, yeah. it's a much deeper question. Yeah, but
1: luckily they don't get too deep on it yeah. and try and tell you what to think in the doc. They kind of leave thought it. it was but...
0: very, I thought it was very poignant. The interview it was very short. I would have liked to have seen some more footage on this too. Uh, maybe I'm just morbid the this serviceman i felt horrible for him because you know five guys open fire he's the one they're talking to he basically feels he did it and they ask him outright well other people were firing too do you think it was your bullets that ended the parents lives and basically he says it, that doesn't matter it i'm still responsible so i definitely feel for this guy um he was unaware that the little boy had been killed again. You know. Oh that he'd yeah, that he had
1: been killed. That been killed. So, yeah,
0: that was. So that's, that was crazy. That's yeah. horrible. Oh gosh. But he said, "Please tell them I'm sorry." So they relayed that message to the daughter, and her words were, "I don't care. Sorry doesn't bring my parents back." And I was right. like, "Whoa! Rewind. Right. Watch that again." It was very, very telling. And then it. So then the whole, the whole bigger picture comes up. Okay. It was a horrible situation. They're documenting it may have escalated it. It may have have, have sped it up. But this is a war torn country. Yes, they did mention this family was targeted. Yes. So that's the term they use. Yeah. But at the same time, this is one family of thousands of families that were annihilated. So Oh you know, yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know that there's a way to say what are their stories. You yeah, know? I don't. Yeah, it's. I don't know if there's a way to say this was the cause of it. Roundabout way, yes, I guess so. It, that's what they were kind of trying to yeah. say. To the doc that he was
1: specifically targeted after the fact by the terrorists. Yeah, but who knows? I, it doesn't matter, and I don't think they knew the kid was in the house when they blew it up. Anyway, the main
0: question I had is why didn't he stay in Boston? I don't yeah, know.
1: Yeah, why didn't the well? You know, uh, again, you know, they were pointing out that it was uh, he was with his uncle, and so it could have been. You know, hey, we can't get your aunt uncle in here. Yeah, I know. I, you th- can go back home, or you can stay in the U.S., but you're gonna be with a foster family kind of thing. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's uh, one of those things is left untold that would have helped with the story. Too many
0: unanswered questions. Lots of so, questions,
1: especially I- especially with that one
0: set and I of would, the three set pieces yeah and I would that's why I would never say well yes you, you cause it don't do this because this is what happened don't get involved in the story because this would happen because quite frankly when you're not doing and there was a very there was some really good comparisons to what Chris Hondros and his counterparts were doing as opposed to spot news which is what you and I are most right, familiar with. Right. And that one editor kept saying, he goes, This is you know, this is not spot news. Spot news is covering the accident, covering this, covering this. what they were doing was in depth, embedded journalism, which you do get involved. There's no ifs, yeah, ands, yeah. or buts. Yeah, right. If it's you, different. And I, I don't know how much of this you have done. Years ago we used, i worked for oddly enough a newspaper called the courier um <laughs> in california and one of the things they would do would uh they would let they re- the the editor really loved photo essays so he would give us center spreads kind of whenever we wanted it uh, in, in hindsight that's because i guess nobody was advertising in the paper so we had lots of space to fill it was great for me so I did uh, – we were in a metro area, so, like, our neighboring schools were like here, you know, Chino to Prescott, Prescott to Prescott Valley. Um, but a a regular season game here is traveling to Phoenix or to Blue Ridge or to Havasu. You know, it's pretty spread out compared to what I was used to. So when there was long road trips, it was something odd. So when an East Bay team went to the Central Valley for a tournament – that was odd. That was one photo essay I chose. I went with a basketball team to an overnight trip and, and I did a photo essay. It was a lot of fun. Another thing that I did, uh, I used to like doing was doing like New Year's Eve and I would go into a, we did it a couple, I did a hospital, I did a fire station and I went in about noon and I spent the night photographing through the night and got some really interesting stuff. On a very small scale, that's, basically embedding yourself you in the course of 12 hours 24 hours you know was eating and sleeping with these firemen or the nurses on duty and you're playing cards with them at 4 a.m because there's nothing going on in the er you get to know them and then you get pictures of them you know reading and you start talking about their families and start thing then you you kind of gear when it when a i remember this one specific er nurse was talking about how every holiday She's away from her kids, and she doesn't like it, but it's what she has to do. So, I one of the shots that I really enjoyed. This is, I want to say, eighty three, eighty four. One of the shots that I really liked was with my uh, my uh, the the lens that was pretty much always on my camera was a uh, I, I had three. There was a thirty five one point four, 1.4, one oh five one eight and a one eighty two eight, and it was that one o five one eight. Uh, with this nurse shot long available light in a really dark break room with one little desk light on when she was talking to her kids at 2 a.m. because one of her kids woke up in the middle of the night and her husband puts the kid on the phone and they're talking it was a great shot had I not immersed myself with her I wouldn't have known she had kids now quadruple that, and Hondros is living with these guys for months at a time, you are going to get those emotions. You're gonna be tied into these things. You can't not do it. And if you don't do it, you're not doing your job because you're not going to get that emotion. So you are immersing yourself in this. You are getting involved. You are going to know the personal ins and outs that these people are doing. If you're not, then you're missing the that emotional impact. You're missing that emotional tangent that you need to follow.
1: What about the third... I think it was the third story. Well, it might have been the first story in the movie. Was the... What I call is probably most iconic photo of the guy jumping after he launched this RPG. Chris did not know who the guy was. Didn't even get his name. Nothing. Yeah. Later on, goes back to the country. Hunts him. was
0: all tore up, when uh, that?
1: all the
0: shrapnel in his leg. Was that the same guy? Yes. Yeah.
1: The guy they were talking yeah. to, they are interviewing. Yes. But Chris goes back to the country, not working... He might have been working something else, but he was not going there to meet this guy. Finds the guy, hunts the guy down, starts talking to him about what is he going to do once the war is over, and the war is over at this point, I think, or something. It's many years later, and the guy's basically saying, you know, well, I'm going to do like what all the other soldier soldiers do. We become criminals, and he's like, well, why? He's like, well, that's what I know. That's what I know how to do. And so Chris volunteers to get the guy into school. He pays for his schooling. He pays for his college and all lot of stuff. And this is a dude, he didn't even know his freaking name when he left the country and sent the images out. But he goes back and gets re-involved in the guy's life. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about that.
0: What was his, and we don't know, what was his ultimate goal going to be? You know, had, had Hondros survived...
1: This is going to sound sound bad, but I think it's the same goal. Well, maybe not bad, but I think it's the same goal as almost every photojournalist is. The reason why they get into it, I don't know about you, but it's one of the reasons why I really got into it and really took to it is because I want to change the world with my images. And I think this is his way of being able to change the world is by sure his images are helping, but he can help make this one person's life better. Now here's one criminal not on the street, and he they show him. He has pictures. He has a wife. Yeah. He has kids. He yeah. is living in a house.
0: That, you know that that aspect of photojournalism never enters my mind at all. Change, good, bad, indifferent doesn't matter. I want to tell a good story. Okay, I want to tell a well, good story. That's see, it. I think that goes along with the telling the story. No, but, th- there's aspects, of, but I, I, it doesn't matter to me which way it ends up. I want to tell that story. If it, if that yes, story that's ends job with number one, if that always, story ends agree with, with, with this that. guy in prison, then I'm going to sit down with him in prison and take some pictures of him in the prison yard. If it, if it turns out him taking a hard left and getting married and being a teacher, then that's Good, too. I'm going to follow them to the park and take pictures of that. What I'm getting at is, had Chris survived, had he been alive now and flash to the future, had he been alive at 70 years old in another 15, 20 years, he's cultivated these relationships, he goes back, and now he continues to tell that story, whether it be in a documentary of his own or in a coffee table book or in a website or in a magazine piece or in a movie i i have no problem revisiting that story that subject and even taking an inf- putting putting an influence into the story and then documenting it who knows where he was going to go and in watching as he was talking, and I've, I'm, 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 my mind's mush, but when he was talking to that serviceman, there was video of that. They, him and the other journalists were rec- audio recording it, much like we're doing right now. Who knows where his career was going to go? He, I got the impression, and again, not knowing anything about Hondros before seeing this movie other than knowing his name and recognizing some of his iconic images. I don't know where his trajection was going maybe he had that long-range plan where i photographed him shooting off the bridge i go back and visit him a few years later see where he's going and see him going to college maybe i want to come back and talk to his grandkids before i die you know who knows
1: but the reason why he was even going to college is because chris got involved and chris gave him money and chris said here you should go do this and the servicemen you know, which was interesting. The serviceman was the opposite. The serviceman reached out to Chris, which I thought was an interesting, ti- not tipping point, but just a juxtaposition on this. Where the two stories Chris got involved, that story his subject got involved with and him. And he
0: would not have done that had Chris not cultivated that relationship, that personal That's relationship. True. That's so, very true. And again, I, I I'm, don't take this wrong. I'm not putting myself at that level, but we all do this to a certain degree. When you were with the paper, you would have people that would reach out to you and go, hey, Hinshaw, you know, I, you, you, did you know about this going on? I would yeah. get it constantly. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. You I still get, do now. Yeah, you would yeah. get people going, hey, I don't know if you know, you know, such and such is going on. You develop those contacts. That's what happens. Now you got to be careful about crossing the line. Um, in our type of community in in our type of what we have done in this community and for me in my whole career in communities like this, uh, nothing I was covering was huge and groundbreaking. A lot of it was, you know, just things that were happening. It wasn't—I was never going to be in, you know, a deep-throat, all-the-presidents-men situation. The most thing I would ever—is, you know, maybe somebody skimming a little off of the, the Little League treasury, you know, that kind of thing. There was no earth shaking things, so I didn't have to worry about crossing those lines for the ethical purposes, but you develop those contacts so that you get information and they develop them with you because when they have something that needs to have a light shined on it or a little publicity to something, they reach out to you because yeah, they
1: call you, yeah, yep.
0: because hey you know we're 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 donating uh you know, we're donating this money to the homeless shelter and we're going to be dropping off a check. You think you can come by? Yeah, you do it, but you don't just do it as a grip and grin. Then you get some pictures of where the money's going and you want to find out what's the end run for this because it's good copy for you. It's a good story to tell in the community and it gives them the publicity that down the road they can go after more and more contributions because it's being shown that it's going to a good thing. So there's a lot of give and take. you got to watch out, though, as we both know, when it's you're basically being able to buy front-page stories, which we know happens way too often, especially in smaller communities. You want a great story on your new general manager? Buy a full-page ad on the back of Section 2. That's where it gets disgusting but you develop contacts that's how you get stories that's how you get access that's how you get phone calls returned to you that's what happens when they know that you'll be fair in what you do and you know they know you're you know when your sources know you're not going to burn them if there is something that needs to be shined on we're going to shine a light on it but we're also going to give you a chance to tell your side
1: all right, well, Mr. Santos, how long have we been talking? Have we been talking long enough for your podcast? Do we need to keep going? Because I know you like to do at least an hour. I
0: got no time limit, man.
1: Okay, because my time I try to keep my time limit to a half hour, but I knew we were going to blast through that.
0: Well, now you got two of them.
1: No, <laughs> no, because, yeah, no. I'm not going to do a two-parter. I just throw it up, and you can listen to it or not. But, I mean, you know, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I own... A couple documentaries about war photographers that I like a whole lot. Um, you know, it's something that I always wanted to do. I don't know if I would have been able to hack it once I'm actually out there, like what you were pointing nope. out. Never
0: would have been able to. Uh, well, we've talked about this on my show a little bit, but g- I think we g- have. Give me, g- me a. Um, what's the What's the squirliest situation you ever been in? Oh, I've been shot camera? at. Yeah. yeah,
1: I've been shot at. It was a dumb situation, but. <laughs> Uh, it was a hostage situation, uh, pulled up to the, uh, standoff. And, um, it was basically a cabin in the woods, middle of nowhere kind of thing. And I pull up Mexico. Yeah. I pull up with the reporter and I'm looking around. I'm like, I get out of the car. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? What? I thought there was a hostage situation. And I start hearing some cracking and clearly it was gunshots whizzing by. I'm like, what? Maybe not at me, but in my general direction, whatever. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I get in my car, and I take off. Not flooring it, but I'm just not thinking much of it. I take off, and I start going around a curve, and I stop, and all of a sudden, there's just cops everywhere. <laughs> they had decided not to barricade anything, not block anything off. Because they figured no one would have come out there to do anything about it. So they're (laughs) like, why do we need to put up tape or anything? And so the guy that was holding someone hostage was taking pop shots at us, me and the reporter. (laughs) So that was, much like yourself, a situation where if I would have thought about it at the time, I probably would have been wetting myself. But because I was a young, dumb kid, I wasn't paying much attention to it later on i'm like oh my god i could have been injured or died or whatever but (laughs) at the time i'm just like well i guess i got close enough (laughs) but yeah that was you know i've been in hairier stuff but that's that's the one where i was actually shot at so
0: yeah i got shot at a few times standing next to a car window when it got shot out at a at a robbery in progress uh been inside of two homes while they've been burning, shooting yeah. pictures, going and shooting out uh, of the firemen running into the house. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me about those ones. That's uh, yeah, that's interesting. I've never gotten to a fire that fast. Got into uh, rolled up on way too many accidents while they were still happening.
1: Oh yeah, I've done that yeah. a couple times, but I, I wouldn't call that something hairy. It's yeah. just oh well, shit. There's a car accident, yeah. which yeah, is that's real interesting there was one here that i rolled up on when i was in the courier it i don't think it happened like literally in front of me where i saw it but it was probably two or three minutes before i came through oh, no, and I, I and i see it and i'm like oh fuck so i pulled over yeah you're gonna, to you're gonna have to edit a lot 117 you're gonna have to edit a lot a lot and i pull over and there's just cars. Up and down the side of this road from this car accident, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And I get out, and there's all these people, bystanders surrounding this car. I mean, I'm not talking like five people; I'm talking like twenty people. Yeah. It was crazy. I've seen
0: them happening in front of me in my rearview mirror, uh, on the lanes coming at me, you know, the the opposite lane several times. Go again with, uh, you know, kind of flip it a little bit. Uh, just a, about a week and a half, two weeks ago on on Facebook, you know, you get the uh, Facebook memories, you know, on this day things, and one popped up the other day from six or seven years ago. Six years ago, I think I don't know, have to look, but uh, we were heading out of town, and we were gassing okay. up, and uh, I saw a few fire trucks go by in Chino. So we, I, I told my wife, I said, "Oh, hold on, I got." Anthony, he was two, maybe three, in the back seat in his car seat. We were heading out of town to go to uh, the oh, what did they call it? The Route sixty six was that the Thunderbird class baseball tournament up in Bullhead City. Is I used to shoot it every year for the paper. Chino would go up there and play every year and we were on our way out of town to go to that tournament and i see these fire trucks and couple police cars so we follow i should tell sandra so oh, let's let's just go see what it is before we hit the highway <laughs> and it was a house fire so that was anthony's first house fire now since then he's been to three house fires two wildfires uh three or four vehicle fatality accidents and uh two shootings <laughs> <laughs> so your son,
1: at the age of how old is he He's now? Nine. Nine. At the age of nine, has probably experienced more than most adults have.
0: Uh, I get the parenting, you know, award if he hates <laughs> the you, father of the year award.
1: Yeah, it, if he if he grows up hating you, I, I you know, oh, he
0: doesn't have to grow up for that. Oh, uh, <laughs> If Over, he gets older, hating you. Overall, uh, this movie, Hondros, I really enjoyed it, uh, and I'm not. I you mentioned this at the front, at the beginning. I honestly don't like movies about photography.
1: That's I interesting. I, I like, figured you would enjoy them. I no, love them.
0: I don't like docs about them. I can't. I just I because what I end up doing is thinking more of like, oh, how would I have shot that? How would I? Have, and then I I feel like I'm at work. I like dramatizations about them.
1: I like movies. Yeah, like movie movies. I, yeah, not documentaries. Yeah. Uh,
0: what was that? Killing Fields. I it was a great movie. Mm-hmm. I remember going to see that with a couple of guys that I worked with at a paper. We all cut out in the middle of the day, went and saw that at a matinee. Uh, actually, photographed us watching it. It's, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, all came telling back about
1: to... that. Yeah, that was on one of your podcasts recently. Uh, enjoyed well, that. One with me. Yeah. Enjoy
0: movies about journalism. But honestly, doc, I'm not a big doc fan anyway. I enjoy entertainment documentaries about either bands, musicians, comics, things like that. I enjoy, um, but I I'm not to most most documentaries about specifically like war, uh, war journalism, war photography. Uh, they tend to get way too political, and as you know and as listeners of my podcast know, if there's one thing I am not is political. I do not—I I dislike everything political, and that's why I enjoyed this. While it's centered around war and it centered around conflict— they really concentrated on the personal aspect of Chris Hondro's. It didn't delve too much into the right or wrong. Why are we there? Why are the troops there? What could they have done? And, and you and I talked about it a little bit, about as specific to that to that child and his sister and his parents. But overall the film was about this artist and this journalist and what he did and what he captured. It didn't get into the political aspects. That's why I enjoyed it. Most documentaries specifically about, even if it's just about journalists, about writers and reporters, it always starts to go one way or another on the political spectrum, and that's where they lose me. I just go, can't take it. Have you ever
1: seen... It's one of my favorite ones. Again, it's on a war photographer. It's actually called War Photographer on a James Nashway.
0: No. Isn't there a book called War Photographer as well?
1: Maybe. I, I think... don't know. But this is
0: a documentary done on him
1: years ago. I actually watched it when I was in college. Um, it's quite old now, but I, had to, I don't know. This was before I think even Amazon got real big. I don't remember where I got it. I might have picked it up a Tempe camera or something. It was a little pricey. It was probably like 30 bucks. But um, it's very much in the vein of this film. Um, It's more about uh, James Nashway and his methods and how he does things. And they follow him and you see the solitary. You see him, the loneliness. You see him working. I really love that documentary. And he is probably my favorite war photographer of all. I've always wanted to be like him. Yeah, He's just incredible. He's still alive today um he talks about his work he talks about capturing these images he talks about uh um interacting with people being able to get in these situations how he feels for these people you get to meet one of his uh love kind of love interest which is an interesting thing they went into with hondros which is another thing i've noticed not just from war photographers but photographers in general they tend to dedicate their lives to what they do not so much that's
0: why i want to retire you know
1: yeah and uh, <laughs> james nashway i mean they talked to this lady she's european germany works for some newspaper in germany that he's shot for for a while probably stringing or whatever and had a relationship with this lady at least they allude to them having a relationship and basically he you know kind of pushed her to the side to continue doing his work yeah it's a very fascinating documentary i i like it a lot again i like this kind of stuff yeah. but uh all right so to wrap it up mr mile high show you know our rating system we do uh i guess you could say half a reel to 5 reels 5 being your favorite Best movie ever, half a real being. No one should ever see this, including yourself again.
0: I'll go. A good Where would you rate? I'll go solid four. Four. Well, four, four and a few frames. It was good. Four and a few I, frames. I, All right, and, and and for me to say, having said, I don't like documentaries in general and i don't like documentaries about photographers for me to go the- and you're not
1: a big movie guy either you like
0: movies but it's not you're
1: not like me you like more shows and things and things no. in the background
0: no i i like movies but i where where i separate myself from you is and a lot of people that are movie buffs is i want a good story and I want to be entertained.
1: Oh, that's my number one. That's how I rate most of my films. If the story's garbage and the rest of the film is okay, I will give it a lower rating than something that is a really good story, but the production is crap, the acting is crap. The story for me is always number yeah. one in a film. See, I, I, always. Li- I like a
0: good story. I like good characters. I could care less about who wrote it. I could care less about where it falls in the stream of things i could care less about what it's based on i want that i want a story to c- capture me while i'm watching it and a lot of times people will watch a movie and they'll and they'll really get into it because of blank it was written by so and so or the dialogue was this or the dialogue was that and i'm like yeah all that's true but if I can't get into a character, and that's why I like a lot of fiction, give me a character that I can that I could really wrap myself up in. And more often than not, on a lot of movies, it's like, I don't care about anybody that's on that screen. Don't care about them at all. So I'm not going to sit there for an hour and a half and watch them interact with each other. Yeah, well,
1: that's fine. I mean... You know, I I have my directors that I really like. Uh there's some writers maybe. Actors, maybe. Some actors are really, really good, especially at telling stories. But if again, the story's crap. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'll watch it. I'm gonna watch it all the way through, but I'm not gonna maybe re watch it. I definitely will recommend someone to go see it if I don't think the story's good. Um for me, I really enjoyed this movie. I really did. I you know, don't know if I can emphasize it enough, but uh, I give it a little higher than you. This is almost a perfect score for me. There's some things that I'm not a super huge fan of, but overall, you know, it was good. I like that they actually were able to get interviews they had done with Chris in the past. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you know this or not, but the uh, Greg Campbell, the guy that directed and wrote this, mm-hmm. was Chris Hondros's best friend. Yep. And that's why he did this. This is kind of his way of dealing with chris's death it's his way of kind of honoring yeah. chris um he you know i don't know if he talks about it really much but he you know like anyone else that loses their best friend he's ha- is having a hell of a hard time with it yeah granted he did what he, he died doing what he loved and everybody uses a cliche but still it's he still died yeah you know so i give it uh four and a half out of five reels i think if uh you're into photography, you're into documentaries or you're into good stories, you need to sit down and you need to watch this. It's an hour and a half long, it's not a long one and it's on Netflix. It's well worth it. It's done great. Even though this guy is not a filmmaker, he did a great
0: job. Oh, it was excellent. Yeah. So.
1: All right, well, Maddie, uh, uh I don't have anything else. You got anything else nope. you want to add? All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening and uh catch me and uh maybe some special guests on the next pod which is going to be episode number 100. All right, everyone. Chat at you on Thursday.
0: Thank you for listening to The Real Film Nerds. Now, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Real Film Nerds. Now, go out and catch a movie.